guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. Today's episode is sponsored by Wild, a natural deodorant company that focuses on performance, sustainability, and style. It's cruelty-free, vegan, free of aluminum and parabens. And honestly, I've tried several like natural deodorants before, and I haven't been able to get past the first week because my armpits are just like wet and gross. I genuinely feel the same. And... I absolutely love this product. I love what it stands for. It genuinely works. Which no, it is, actually works. It actually works. Like, I'm being deadly serious right now. I love it. It feels great on my armpits because I even, like, even when I use, like, deodorants that aren't necessarily all natural, they still just leave my arms feeling, like, super wet and I just yeah. smell, like, the deodorant scent all day. Yeah, but this deodorant scent smells so lovely so i have i have the orange one i have the aqua one and it is a dream for sure um like barry said it is eco-friendly with all natural ingredients which i love i think personally i am trying to make a switch so that all my kind of toiletries um you know products, skincare products, makeup, etc., is as natural as it can possibly be. Their packaging is all sustainable and you can also do it as a subscription. So you don't even have to, you know, go to the store or anything like that. Just make it a subscription, make your life easy. We all need deodorant every single day. Just get it straight through your letterbox. It is so, so, so simple. So go wild today and get yourself this natural refillable deodorant that really does work. You can order by going to wearewild.com and you will get 20% off your first order when you use code FORKING. That's F-O-R-K-I-N-G for 20% off. Enjoy. Hi guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry, registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie, registered nutritionist. And today we are here with Kate Balistrieri, psychologist, sex therapist, um, overall guru. Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm good. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, of course. We, um, I think it's a topic that a lot of people maybe aren't as open to as maybe Mm -hmm. some other subjects that we've covered on the podcast. So we really just wanted to open up the conversation, particularly with a professional who can give us all the dirty details. (laughs) Literally. Um, I should probably just openly say, like, this is just like an objective conversation about Mm -hmm. um, sex. I think that one of the reasons, and Kate, you can probably attest to this, is that, like, people don't talk about it because it's really easy to personalize it or people feel... Like if you say something, that means that you think that yes. or you do that, um, mm-hmm. which which I think just creates that awkwardness. But I think just having an open conversation about it is so important. Yes, I agree. And I'm so glad that both of you are opening up your platform to discussing sexuality because there are unfortunately a, a lot of um, both misinformation and stigmas that remain about the topic and think that that really keeps people um, 
in a bit of fear from talking about it, which is so unfortunate because everyone is sexual in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah, and I feel like so many people are embarrassed about it as well. Mm-hmm. When in reality, like you said, you know, we're all sexual in a certain way. So it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Amazing. So I would love to know how you got into your line of work before we kind of jump into the questions. Sure, sure. Yeah, a little bit of background. So um, my psychology degree, my doctorate is really a second career for me. I used to sell insurance And it was really a lovely career, but I found myself so much more interested in understanding human motivation. So I went back to school and studied psychology. And my initial experience in the field was as a forensic psychologist. So So I used to work. Yeah, it was really interesting and such amazing training and experience. I used to work in the prison systems for about 10 years with sex offenders and non-sexual violent offenders, um, men and women. And from there, I did some evaluations with the courts and did a lot of work helping the courts with families where abuse and neglect were present. And then from that work, I transitioned into private practice and have really expanded my focus on understanding trauma and its role in people's lives to include especially how trauma can impact people's relationships and their sex lives. And um, I would say that's probably the intersection where I spend most of my time, understanding relationships, trauma, mental health, and sexuality, all of that. That's so that interesting. Is such an interesting, like, uh, progression just from yeah I watch um unrelated but I watch a lot of criminal minds so really just interested in like the forensic <laughs> psychology part um of the court system things like that um so you sparked my interest there but yeah that's that's really interesting so do you do you do couples therapy and then also like um sex therapy or do, are they the same are they different how does that work? such a great question they're they're different so I work with people as individuals or as couples And I can work with people who are addressing things that are not related to sex, as well as people who are addressing things related to sex. Um, And then, you know, if they have any kind of trauma in their life, then certainly we are helping them heal from that. And um, really, you know, a lot of us have had more trauma in our lives than we might be aware of. Uh, Sometimes it's really big things that happen, and other times it's kind of death by a thousand little pokes. And we don't really realize the residual in, uh, effect on us until one day we're like, wow, this this one thing in my life is just so not the way I'd like it to be. And then if we unearth what's the cause, it's, it's usually something that happened that was uncomfortable. So, you know, I, I can work with people in lots of different iterations, but usually someone's coming be- to therapy because they're depressed, they're anxious, or they're really struggling in their relationship or their experience with sex isn't quite what they would like it to be. And that can look a lot of different ways. Lots of different scenarios there. Mm -hmm. So would you say that kind of those things that you mentioned with, you know, depression and trauma and maybe struggling with your mental health, that can have kind of a big knock on effect in terms of someone's, you know, sexual relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we think about kind of who we are as beings, as humans, we have a lot of different dimensions to us all the time. And none of those dimensions exists in a vacuum. Mm. So everything in our lives is interconnected with all of the other domains of who we are. 
So if something is happening with our mental health, it's likely going to wreak havoc on other areas of our life. The same is true with our sex lives or sexuality. If there's some kind of unrest or dissatisfaction there, it likely has an impact on our mental health or our relational satisfaction, and sometimes even how we show up with friends or family or at work. You know, all of who we are is, you know, a fluid kind of um, malleable experience. And so when people are addressing their physical health, they're also addressing their mental health, their sexuality, yeah. their relational mm-hmm. health, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I know a lot of people, um, I don't know if this is true or not, um, but some people who are um, on the cusp of needing medication, one of the side effects Mm -hmm. might be lower libido. And I remember there's like an episode of Sopranos where his uh, therapist Mm -hmm. suggests he goes on Prozac and he refuses because he's like, oh, it'll affect my sex drive and I can't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, So is is that like there is a link, I guess, then if that's a side effect um, between maybe depression or anxiety and, you know, your libido? Um, mm-hmm. Would you say if one goes up, the other goes down kind of thing? Well, I, I would say it's it's hard to make a, a linear prediction for anyone because each body is different, each person's neurobiology is different, and although there can be some links to a decreased libido or sexual dysfunction with medication, sometimes people can experience decreased libido, excuse me, libido or sexual dysfunction with anxiety or depression without medication, and the medication helps. So it's really kind of a good thing for each person to speak with their mental health provider as well as their physician to find out what's the best combination of treatments for them so that they can kind of maximize both their mental health and their sexual experience if that's important to them. I think that's so important as well. And then what I guess like our podcast is all about kind of just like coming to this whole idea of what the fork is wellness and how can <laughs> we just kind of like achieve like, you know, everything is related to wellness at this point and yeah. stuff, um, which is really confusing for everyone to kind of unpick. And, you know, that's why we're here to just, you know, give different um, areas of wellness, air quotes, um, time. So how does, you know, how does sex relate to our overall wellness? Yeah, oh, that's such a great question. Well, first, I think it's really important to remember that everyone has uh, their own unique relationship to sexuality. So for some people, they might assign more weight and importance to being sexual or having a certain kind of sexual experience than others. So I think, you know, first is really key. The first thing that's really key is to understand what are your sexual values and interests? And then are you living a life that's congruent with that? And when people are in a congruent situation with what they want, what's what their values um, outline for them, and then what their reality is, I think that contributes a lot to not only their sexual wellness, but their wellness in terms of how they see themselves. So there's a lot more congruence with their identity. And that is certainly a protective factor against mental health conditions um, and certainly medical distress and social distress, right? When we like who we are mm-hmm. and we're, we're content in that, we're doing things that go along with how we see ourselves, that's a, that's a big, strong indicator that we're going to be okay in a lot of other areas of our lives. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I guess that kind of brings in the whole you know, how confident we are in ourselves. And mm-hmm. if someone is suffering with, let's say, let's say low body confidence, mm-hmm. uh, we talk a lot about kind of, you know, our bodies on this podcast as well, because 
you know we come in all different shapes and sizes but Mm -hmm. you know it's down to us about how we feel about ourselves so if someone is suffering with low body confidence I guess do you work with clients in that area and maybe Mm -hmm. what are some tools that you suggest um to help improve that yeah yeah that's such a great question I, I do work with people who are not happy in the skin that they're in And a big part of that is really kind of understanding what are the expectations that people are placing on themselves? Where did those expectations develop? What happens if they don't fit them, right? What relationships in their lives change if they do fit them or don't? And really sort of evaluating the relational context. Because as human beings, I'm a huge proponent that we are social and relational creatures. Mm -hmm. And no matter how hard we might try to just be independent and you know without any care about anyone else's (laughs) feedback that's just really hard yeah um you know because we we love the people in our in our lives and um we're really committed to having healthy relationships as a species that helps our survival so you know when i think we we have to look at people's relationships to their body and understand what does it mean about them in the greater context of their lives. And when we can start to address that and help them improve the health of their relationships, especially the relationship they have with themselves, then it really becomes a little less important to them if they have a little bit of cellulite here or a stretch mark there or some crow's feet over here. And we start getting down to really experiencing how do they, um, how do they, I guess, uh, experience the, the pleasure in their bodies that they can have with a partner when they can get out of their mind about what their body looks like. Mm-hmm. And when people start unlocking that, it's really powerful and they stop being so sensitive so much about their body. Yeah, that's that's an amazing kind of concept because, I mean, you know, if you're in a relationship, you know, it might not be as important to some people than, you know, as it is other, but sex is a big part of a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be. Yeah. So do you, I mean, how important do you think it is? Because obviously, you know, some people will say, oh, it's not as important to me. I know that, you know, depending on the couple, maybe some people have more of a friendship. Some people are more passionate. There's more lust in some relationships. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the work you do, how important would you say that it is to have, you know, whatever a healthy sex life is? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's really important to have a healthy sex life. But how people define healthy is is what I think is Mm -hmm. really subjective. And it's important for people to remember that the amount of libido we have and our sexual interests may change over time, right? Depending on what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in our lives, who we're with, and that's all really normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's normal to have a, a changing relationship that has some ebbs and flows with your sexuality. And so when two people in a, are in a relationship, or three or more if it's a polyamorous situation, they can, you know, really define what healthy means to them. And one of the things that I think a lot of couples really struggle with is when they have mismatched libidos. So, you know, perhaps when couples started out, they might have, you know, everybody might have been really on par with the same level of sexual Mm -hmm. chemistry. And then over time, that kind of changes a little bit as people evolve at different paces or have different needs in their lives. And so what I think really defines a healthy sex life is being open and transparent about what you what you like, what you don't like how much sex is ideal for you and what your limits are. And if there's a difference or a contrast between your needs and your partner's needs without shaming each other, right? Just Mm -hmm. holding space for each other to have two Mm -hmm. very different perspectives. Negotiate, 
talk to each other about where there's wiggle room to meet more in the middle so that you can really be honoring of each person's authentic experience. Mm. I guess just having that open uh, open conversation, sorry, is so empowering because some, mm. you know, even if you've been in a relationship for years, it still mm. might be, you know, slightly embarrassing to discuss, yeah. you know, if you, your libido is higher than your partner's or vice versa. And, you know, mm. you want to have that open conversation without feeling judged, I guess. Yeah. 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 Let's- and I, I find the concept of kind of compromising, like you said, is really unique because when you think of like typical couples and their needs, maybe it's like, I need you to take out the garbage and, you know, mm-hmm. there's ways of compromising, but having that same conversation in the space of sex, I think is really unique. And I don't think it's probably something that people think that they can apply those same kind of negotiation conversations to that mm-hmm. topic. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think that's just that was just really interesting when you mentioned that. It's it's a lot easier said than done. You know, I'll, I'll be very candid about that because we have to take into consideration what sex means to each person. And because we often are coming into a relationship with a long history of sexual experiences or ideas or expectations or fears, it's not always, you know, an apples and apples conversation. So I think couples would be really well served to talk about what their needs are and if there are discrepancies to find out what does it mean if my partner compromises in this way? Do they now feel exploited? Do they feel safe still? Is that okay? Exactly. Um, Does my partner feel neglected if I'm not, you know, down to be sexual? Um, What does that do for them? And so I think it's a nuanced conversation and not always as simple as taking out the trash but of course (laughs) (laughs) but let's be real taking out the trash isn't about the trash either it's about (laughs) being respected and Mm -hmm. chipping in and things like that and so when we can kind of go below the surface a little bit sex is one more um, vehicle for what's really going on in the relationship If I mean, uh, this might be a really silly question, but in regards to maybe the research that you've done, is there like a certain amount of times a week or a month that we should be having (laughs) sex? Oh, I wish I could give an answer to that. That's one of the questions people ask ask me most frequently. But I really can't say with any degree of certainty that there's a definitive number because everyone's different, right? Mm -hmm. One couple might be like, wow, once a week, this is awesome. We love it. That's great. And another couple might be like, oh, my gosh, I hear all of the crickets you know, starting to <laughs> chirp with once a week. We need it five times a week. And then other couples might say, no, three times a day. So I think it really comes down to honoring, again, what works for each couple. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I did have a question from one of my followers when I put this out um, saying that if if um, how are other ways that you can get intimate if maybe your, um, like you said, your libido doesn't match up, but you want to honor your partner? Um, what other things do you suggest or for couples to do to help honor just that intimacy if it's not always sex? Yeah. To to be clear, are we talking about emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, oh, I'm not or sure. other sexual but non-penetrative intimacy? I don't know. She didn't specify. Um, it's only a little question box, with <laughs> a word limit. But I guess, um, yeah, I don't I don't really know. But um, I guess emotional intimacy. That's an interesting. Is that something that you work on a lot um, mm-hmm. with your practice? And how do you see that kind of show up between? people who are, let's say, working on that? 
Um, well, I think we've got to remember that we're not just mechanical creatures. And so even if we're talking about sexual intimacy in terms of the mechanics of what's happening in the room, usually what we're talking about as humans is connection, is you know, a different kind of knowing each other. And that is very emotionally intimate, even if you're not doing a lot of lovey-dovey, gooey eye-gazing during sex, right? There's ways to be emotionally intimate. And I think when we're talking about how do we get to a place where people are more sexually um, charged and they want to increase the sexual component of intimacy in their relationship, again, it's really important to look at what's happening in the rest of the relationship right? What helps each partner start the arousal process long before you're ever in the bedroom or wherever it is you choose to be sexual, right? So what's happening there? Do both partners feel safe? Do they feel attuned to? Do they feel desired? Do they feel comfortable in their own skin? Do they have enough energy to be sexual, Mm -hmm. right? Is one partner doing all of the childcare, all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, or all of the working, you know, what, how are they really kind of helping each other out in other aspects of the relationship? Because when you can, you know, assure that both people have everything else kind of going on in their lives in a way that feels okay, they're going to have a lot more energy to bring to the sexual conversation. But if, you know, somebody's well is always dry, yeah, it's really hard to get creative, be spontaneous, or feel like you have anything to give to a sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important. And we kind of always talk on this podcast about like holistic health. And it's not just about mm-hmm. the food you eat, but it's about the habits that you have and your sleep mm-hmm. and your stress and, you know, how hydrated you are and things like that. And it kind of almost feels like that same thing applies for, you know, your sex life that you have to make sure that everything else going on is in check. So you have that space and you have that energy with your partner to, you know, allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just um, just as we're on the topic, a follower kind of mentioned that their um, how do I word it? Like the time in which they have to dedicate to the bedroom has gone down since they've had kids. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of address that with couples? Because I guess I mean I don't have kids of my own, but you know, for the future, if I ever did, <laughs> it would be great to know. <laughs> yeah. uh, So many um, first-time parents find themselves in this situation because I think as a culture, we don't really talk about how involved it really is to have a child. Mm -hmm. Um, So that seems to be one of the areas where parents find themselves surprised is just how tired they are, just how exhausting it is, and how it really does change the way they see sex and their time and bandwidth for it, especially moms. because it, and if moms are breastfeeding or if they're the primary caretaker for the children, you know, think about the way it must feel to be clung to all day and mm-hmm. have a child just always touching you and wanting you and being on your breast to feed or being, you know, all over your body because they have those survival needs. And that's what children are supposed to do, right? But when you have a partner later who then wants to do the same thing, I mean, it can be really draining. And so I think what's important is to check in with each other a lot and find out what do you need? You know, how are you feeling as an individual, not just as a parent, not as a partner? How can I support you in taking care of you so that we, you both do have enough charge to then come back and be sexual? Making sure that you have great access to child care is really important Um, and that you're able to really take time to be individuals, I think is key in, Mm -hmm. in making time once you've had children. 
Yeah. And then also just honoring that it, your life is going to change. So you may not have time for lots of things that you didn't have time for before. Yeah. Since being one of them. Yeah. And it's not like a forever thing. That doesn't mean that your relationship is going to be like that forever. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. this is what you're going through at the moment situationally. And you need to just accept sometimes. I feel like it, it's when things are kind of out of your control that sometimes that is, you know, you can always do things to help improve it, but it's yeah. not going to be what it was pre-children. Exactly. And one of the things that really gets couples in trouble is they start seeing each other as the problem. And that's a, that's a big deal, right? Because two people who choose to have a child or who choose to be in relationship together, guess what? You're on the same team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So start looking at a shift in your sex life as the problem. And you two are on the same team who get to solve the problem together. Right. But couples, when they silo and start pointing the finger at each other, it's going to take them a long time, a longer time to get back on the same page. So try to remember that if you find yourself in a relationship struggling about sexual differences or really anything, are you on the same side as your partner? And I guarantee when you get on the same side and the problem is over there, you guys are going to find resolves so much faster. That's an amazing tip. Yeah, I really like that because, you know, it is a partnership. Um, so what are some things that could maybe affect people's sex drives? We've kind of spoken about maybe, you know, some couples having a lower libido than others. Are there things that maybe are affecting that? I mean, I guess with women, we have a lot more hormones than men. So maybe we're more up and down. But um, yeah, is there anything kind of that you can discuss that may be affecting some people's sex drive? You know, things like stress or other lifestyle factors? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, again, going through every domain of our lives, we have to look at things like, how do we see ourselves? Were we given permission to be sexual beings? Or were Mm -hmm. we shamed away from our sexuality? That's going to play a big role in our relationship to wanting sex, or feeling like it's, it's even acceptable for us to make room for it in our lives. Um, So I would say that's one thing. Definitely our biology makes a big difference. So how, how is your nutrition? Are you exercising well? Do you get enough sleep? All of those things play a big role in libido, as I'm sure you both know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then finding, you know, making sure that you're finding space to de-stress. And, um, you know, interestingly, how embodied do you feel? And I find this to be especially true for women Um, When women have a difficult time being in their bodies in a way that allows them to stay present and in the moment, they often enjoy sex less, and so it becomes less of a priority. But when women can feel in their bodies and stay rooted in their bodies, they can enjoy sex a lot more, and then they want it more. They make more room for it in their worlds. So Mm -hmm. I think that's an important um, variable to consider. And then things like medical conditions, medication, mental health issues, Certainly, if there are other stressors like work or legal context that get in the way, parenting or, you know, all the things, mm-hmm. all the things yeah. that make a mess in other parts of your life too, yeah. can mess up sex drive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It does kind of just think, it does kind of just sound like it's another extension of this kind of like, I'll use that term again, there's a like, well, like wellness bubble, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really get spoken about, yeah. um, which is so interesting. I have an interesting question that we didn't prepare for so sorry Um, but (laughs) in terms of lockdown and COVID and couples spending a whole lot more time together than they were previously and maybe they had um, a lot more independence in their you know their jobs and they had that Mm -hmm. space and then they 
you know, came together. Have you seen um, in your practice like a difference in how that affects couples like in the bedroom when they spend so much time together? Absolutely. Um, it was interesting at the start of the pandemic, the couples that, that I've been working with who were really kind of, you know, more healthy at their core were enjoying it. They were seeing a much more robust um, spark and spike in their sex life and they were loving life. And now that we've been in the pandemic for as long as we have been and people are working from home more, they have less outside um, texture in their lives. So they're not going to offices, they're not seeing friends as much, they're not able to be out and about. I think there is um, an experience of over-familiarity and too much. And when we are too much with our partner, and we have that kind of over-familiarity, it can actually have an inverse effect on our sex lives because it's too close, the intimacy, there's not enough room and light and air for the for that flame of intimacy to spark. So we end up feeling more like family than we do lovers. And you know, sometimes couples see this in their lives, especially when they start having kids, but certainly couples who you know, haven't experienced that yet, have seen an acceleration in it um, in the pandemic. So Esther Perel actually wrote a great book called Mating in Captivity, where she kind of writes to this. And so that's a good read for anyone who's seeing that spark die out. Um, Mm -hmm. But human beings, we're we're novel creatures, and we like things that are shiny and new. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of that when we go out into the world and just live our daily lives. So now that we're just sort of looking at the same four walls and our same partner every day and most people are wearing kind of the same clothes and their hair is the same and they're not really doing much except sitting in the same butt groove on the couch and watching the same shows. Yeah. I feel very seen. <laughs> <laughs> right? All of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, you're here again. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of kind of you know, people are getting bored and antsy and anxious and that's okay, right? This is not something necessarily to worry about if you're seeing that with your partner. Talk mm-hmm. about it with them. Make sure there's nothing else going on. But most of the partners are like, yeah, I just kind of don't feel like anything. Yeah. But yeah. Just to kind of carry on what you were saying that how, you know, if someone is struggling with maybe the scenario that you just described, how would you maybe suggest going about opening up the conversation to talk about your sex life with your mm-hmm. partner and say, look, you know, it's not as exciting as it was before. Let's spice it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's really important to remember that whenever we're having a talk with our partner about anything that could be sensitive, stay on your side of the street, right? So what I mean by that is use I statements, talk about your experience and ask about theirs instead of being um, pointed or using any kind of blame shifting or accusing, right? So use I statements. I've been noticing that I feel really kind of without any sex drive lately. I wonder what your experience has been, right? And instead of saying, wow, we don't really have any sex anymore. Ugh. <laughs> it's a totally <laughs> different vibe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, one is like very blame heavy and one is like mm-hmm. it comes out of a place of curiosity, which I think is a much safer way to approach things, isn't it? If both of you are on the same page in terms of spicing it up, it can be really fun to brainstorm the ways that you might do that. Definitely. What are some good tips for like maintaining 
a good sex life with a long-term partner? Because, you know, we said it's a lot of things that can kind of disrupt it. But do you have any tips for people who have been together, you know, 10, 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some good tips that for those well, couples? For couples who have been together for a long time, I think one of the things that's really key is to remember that you are the expert on your partner, right? Or that's that's your job. And when the two of you know each other well, you'll know things like, does my partner appreciate spontaneity or does that actually frighten them? And if, it, if they appreciate spontaneity, I would say, bring that into the relationship a lot. So, you know, bring a spark where there can be um, unexpected sex and, and see what happens. Be open to introducing things that are novel. You know, maybe play with um, roles or play with power shifting or things like that together. You know, it's okay to be explorative or exploratory and curious with each other sexually. Pretend like you've never seen your partner's body before and go on an expedition. You know, it can be really fun to engage in sensory play that neither of you you really have um, noted before. And so what I mean by that is get curious with how different textures feel on each other's skin. You know, nibble in places you've never nibbled before and use your tongue, use your lips. You know, be exploratory in ways that give your partner different kinds of sensations to be curious about together. And when you can kind of play, it becomes a whole new roadmap to different sexual experiences. And you really get to see your partner in a new light and and them you. And so that kind of increases that novel experience of making sure to keep things fun and interesting and different. Amazing. Is, yeah. is there any kind of research that you know of that links kind of having regular sex to just general overall well-being? Oh, sure. There's lots of research out there that says people who have sex regularly and in a way that feels healthy and aligned for them can help improve their mood, their confidence, their approach to the world, you know, and, and overall sense of good feelings. Amazing. Yeah. I, f- I feel like it's the same with like, I don't know, let's say moving, like any form of exercise. We mm-hmm. know it's good for us, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't prioritize it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it also does sound like someone who maybe has, you know, a healthy sex life also has a healthy, you know, relationship with themselves and maybe mm-hmm. are really good at setting boundaries and they might have you know, other things in their life kind of figured out. I don't know if that makes sense. But um, <laughs> if you're in a in a partnership and that is working well, it, it sounds like there's room for other things to be working well as well. So you might be living a more healthful life compared to those who don't. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say is that when people feel a sense of peace and ease, in one area of their life that usually carries into other areas of their lives, right? If one part of our world is really upended or really stressful, it's hard to feel really peaceful and at ease in other areas of our lives. And so if somebody's relationship is overall really secure in its functioning and they have, you know, a sex life that they feel good about, that's going to really, you know, kind of carry over and allow them to take better care of themselves in other areas and vice versa, right? If somebody's eating really well and they feel healthy and they have more energy, they're going to be a lot more open to being connective sexually with others and themselves. 
you just explained it like so much better than my like few words oh, so no. with, like, <laughs> like in in the middle also I'm sorry my dog's here and I feel like you guys can hear him snoring can you yeah. no is it just me um so that's why it's like making a face he like made this like grunting noise and I was like no um but then um the other question I had was how about people who are single in lockdown you know um Mm. I'm sure that that has really affected kind of a lot like especially here um I'm not quite sure what the rules are in um America at the moment but here if you're in London which I am currently we're not allowed to mix households anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I know for dating that has really disrupted a lot of people's like dating life and if you're single during this time and you know, what has it been, like, eight months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's crazy. How how does that affect maybe your sexual relationship with yourself or, like, when all this restriction is up? How, do you think there'll be, like, a knock-on effect for people to come back together? It's such a great question. It's What we're seeing right now is really unprecedented in so many ways. And because there's so much diversity in how not only different countries are um, approaching the pandemic, but different regions of different countries are approaching the pandemic, I think it's going to be a pretty um, haphazard, haphazard maybe isn't the right word, but kamikaze situation when the world does come back online in terms of dating. And, and I don't really know what to expect um, but what I can say is that in here in America, there is a, a significant diversity in terms of how different regions are approaching the pandemic. So some people are dating just as they did before. Um, some people are much more conservative from a health perspective. And, you know, they are staying in their homes and they're not mixing households. So that said, you know, people um, can still date if they're trying to be really uh, concerned about health responses. And, and the way that I'm seeing them do that effectively and safely is to get to know each other via virtual platform for a while first. And then if you decide to open up your bubble for another human into your physical experience or your pod is what some people are calling it. They get tested not only for STIs, but they get tested then for COVID, and they make a commitment to only be sexual and physically in proximal distance with people who are, you know, in their pod. And Mm -hmm. so, again, there's some risk in that because you have to trust what people are saying, and Mm -hmm. as long as everyone is taking the necessary precautions. People, Some people are seeing it work out okay. Some people don't want to take that risk, and so they're choosing to be sexual and have solo sex from now until whenever the world open ba- opens back up. Um, but what can be really fun also is to get creative with teledildonics. Um, so teledildonics are adult sex toys that can be controlled via app, and it can be really fun if your partner, for example, uh, doesn't live in your geographical area or if you want to give people access to your toy via the app. So you can actually use, they have sleeves for people with penises and they have um, G-spot stimulators as well as clitoral stimulators for people with vulvas and vaginas. And you can actually, you know, stimulate your partner without even being in the room with them which can be a really fun way to be sexual together. And when you pair that with a video situation, it's almost as good as being right there with them in person. And so some people are kind of bridging the gap between being able to date with other people and be sexual with other people by using this kind of workaround for the time being. 
sounds like people are getting very creative. Um, but then also I'm sure that creati- creativity can transcend into when you are able to be physically together. So um, I'm sure for people in those situations, it's fun. Stepping stone for them. It Happy is. for them. But it also is just a great time to learn about how to be sexual with yourself and learn about what you like and why and to create different ways to be sexual with yourself so that when you do kind of go back into the world of dating, you've got a whole new way to learn how to teach your partner how to please you. And that's really fun and exciting for a lot of people who maybe haven't had as much time to be self-exploratory. Yeah, I think like just life gets in the way of life, doesn't it? And again, like what I said about kind of not prioritizing those things that you know do make you feel good and they contribute to overall well-being for some reason we just don't prioritize them sometimes but you know that can be applied to so many topics that we have discussed on the podcast Mm. so yeah no it's it's amazing to kind of explore and have this conversation I agree I think a lot of people will hopefully find this helpful just because it's a conversation they've never had before where maybe they feel awkward or embarrassed to talk about it with their friends or their their you know, it's not something you really talk to your family about. I was going to say your friends and family, but I don't think that every dinner table is um, bringing their sexy apps up at Sunday dinner. But who knows? Maybe there are families out there that are more open about it. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, one of the biggest takeaways was that it's it's kind of just, again, this one piece of the puzzle in an overall healthy lifestyle for, you know, to be healthy relationship with yourself and to have a healthy relationship with your partner um and just being able to talk openly and communicate as you would anything else um yeah that's just really important it's something that I've definitely taken away from from this conversation yeah me too um yeah and just thank you so much for you know sitting here with us and having this open conversation about sex (laughs) thank you so much for the invitation I I love being able to chat with people about sex and mental health and relationships I mean they're such integral parts of who we are as humans absolutely yeah I think it's really really important to kind of you know marry them all together and you know raise awareness for how much you know they do Mm -hmm. couple and coincide with each other so thank you so much for doing that on our podcast today um if people want to find more find out more about you where can they find you Thank you. Um, So probably my website is the best starting point. So modernintimacy.com. On Instagram and TikTok, I am at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. And um, on YouTube, they can find us at uh, Modern Intimacy and find a lot of different educational videos and video blogs there too. That's amazing. Amazing. We will link all of those in the show notes as well for anyone that wants to find Kate. So, yeah, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends and family or anyone that you think this episode might be helpful to. It really does help us get seen in the charts. Please go follow us on Instagram at Forking Wellness and pre-order our book either on amazon.co.uk or barnesandnobles.com. 